0: Hello, everybody. This is Jimmy. Welcome back to another episode of our show. We have a very special guest today. All of our guests are very special. Sometimes they're very special on a local level. Sometimes they're very special on the state and the national level. This man is very special on the international, the, le- the national, the state, and the local level, ladies and gentlemen. He's a very special man. Please welcome to the show the Congressman of the Ninth Congressional District of Massachusetts, the one and only the Honorable Congressman Bill Keating. Hello, Congressman. How are you today?
1: I Evidently, I'm special. Yeah. I'm very special <laughs> today. Thank
0: you. are very special. <laughs> and we're special because you took out time to talk to us today. So we're very grateful for that. So, Bill, just remind people, your district is basically the Cape and Islands. Is that correct?
1: It's the South Coast, you know, areas like New Bedford, uh, the entire Cape, Martha's Venue, Nantucket, and the South Shore, of the South Shore.
0: Okay. Great. By the way, Bill and I will be doing an event on May thirty first in New Bedford. All that will be in the show notes and it's also be on my website and on Bill uh, Bill's website, keating 4 But uh, Congressman Keating, thanks again for making time for us today. Just let's start off with the state level. You represent the South Shore uh, the South South Coast. New Bedford. What are the biggest challenges down in your district with the Cape and Islands and the south coast?
1: Well, I think that if you look at our region, it's no surprise that it's really challenged environmentally. Uh, it's a coastal area. My district is one of the largest uh, coastal districts. If you, if you put all the islands together and strung them out in the entire country. And so we have erosion. Uh, we have a lot of the contamination. Uh, the sand that's there uh, has resulted in you know, water issues and septic issues. So, uh, a lot of the emphasis that I had and uh, people in our region that represent us focus around focuses around dealing with these environmental issues. We did great work in the last Congress, uh, putting historic levels of funding to deal with some of these climate change and environmental issues. And uh, this is the period where we sort of reap those benefits. So, we just uh, had a huge amount of uh, these resources from Massachusetts as a whole and. The district I represent got 90% of them. And we have a lot of smart people there, scientists that have done a lot of research. So they're gonna take uh, those grant monies and they're gonna actually not only deal with the issues in Cape Cod and the islands and the South Coast, but they're also gonna uh, be laboratory experiments for the rest of the country. So there's a lot that's going on in that area uh, that's important uh, and uh, certainly representing that area where people come down if they can get over the bridges uh, in time. These days, they come down and uh, enjoy it. But there's a lot of work and there's a lot of uh, challenges to a district like that, too.
0: Yeah, it's a big district. You're, the money that came through, with that was for the uh, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. Is that where that money came yes, from? Yes, it
1: was. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Now, I know in the current Congress, the, the Republicans are talking about the debt ceiling and they have some issues with uh, raising it and one of the things they wanted to do was cut back on the environmental
1: uh, funding. Is that correct? That's absolutely right. Uh, Actually, uh, the debt ceiling issue is a a serious one. Uh, It's one that uh, if we default, uh, there'll be 8 million people in this country right away uh, facing the loss of their job. 45% of the value of the stock market would go immediately. These aren't scare tactics, these are the realities that if we do default uh, it's like playing russian roulette uh, with your with the economy you know these kind of standoffs mm-hmm. these are for bills that have already we've already spent the money so if someone uh, it's like going out with your credit card and you've spent the money and then the bill comes in and you say well i don't want to pay for it so the, the thing that's important is we can look for areas of agreement where we can uh, look to cost save uh, look for areas of waste look for uh, prioritizing issues. But you do that in the budget. You don't do that uh, when you're holding hostage uh, bills that you owe. Uh, and you know that's something that's going to have drastic effect, not just in this country, but with the value of the dollar as the standard currency of the world, it will have global effects as well. Uh, so I, I hope that we can get past this. We, we've had standoffs before. Uh, we're, in 2013, I believe it was. We had one and we're paying money now uh, just in interest rates because of the political stunt, uh, you know, threatening to default that. So we're we, this is a serious issue uh, and, and I hope it can get behind us uh, in short order and we can move forward to the other issues. But uh, if you ask in Washington right now, uh, what's the number one issue, they'll probably tell you its concerns about defaulting and not, uh, you know, uh, paying on the debt ceiling.
0: Right. It would be huge for your district, not to mention the the country and the world. But your district, all that environmental money that's allocated for that district wouldn't be there. Is
1: that correct? It's true. It's one of the older demographic districts in terms of the age of the people Mm -hmm. uh, that I represent. So that uh, those people, you know, that are in their retirement years, they take that retirement money, the 401ks and the retirement money, and they live off of that. That's part of how they get by. And if anything like this happened, they would be facing almost half their, the value, on average, of that money gone. So, you know, it's just not about the environment. It's about the pocketbook, too. Right. How long have you been in Congress
0: now, uh, Bill? Twelve years. This is my 13th year. Twelve. And how is it going? What? Tell me some of the things that you're most proud of serving, and what are the, most, the biggest challenges?
1: We're all generalists, yeah. you know? what ends up in the doorstep of Congress are issues that can't be resolved anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of like the port of last resort for a lot of issues. Uh, But my concentration uh, has ended up being in the national security, international security areas. Uh, I'm one of the senior members on both the Foreign Affairs Committee and the Armed Services Committee. So the one good thing uh, in this divisive Congress right now, uh, those two committees uh, stand out as the most cooperative committees uh, across the aisle with Republicans and Democrats. And it's a good thing they do because if it, if we can't agree on uh, how we conduct ourselves as a country around the world uh, with any kind of unity, if we can't have any kind of unity about how we defend ourselves and protect our citizens, then we're in big trouble. Mm-hmm. So while a lot of the other committees, uh, I think it's it's more divided, it's less divided in those committees and it, I'm able to get things done across the aisle.
0: So in terms of uh, on the national level, we know we have the debt ceiling crisis and we know it's obviously very divided there. You say our national security, we're united more so. In terms of Ukraine, I know you've been over there. What is your take on what's going on there? Are we, is there still momentum for supporting uh, Zelensky and the Ukrainians or is that waning in Congress? Or what's your take on it?
1: I think it's one of the strongest areas of bipartisan support. Uh, There are people, there's a a fragment of the Republican Party, the more extreme of the extreme, uh, that are isolationists. But uh, we work together on those issues, and Ukraine is one of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're really facing a critical time in Ukraine right now. Uh, They've defied all odds uh, by every expert that's out there, Uh, not only surviving, but reclaiming some of that land back. That they lost to the Russian aggression. And in the next month or two, uh, the counteroffensive that uh, has been long awaited for by Ukraine trying to reclaim some of that land uh, that they've lost, uh, that's going to occur as soon as the mud gets off the ground and they tactically they could move better. You'll see that happen. Uh, And it's going to be pivotal maybe in terms of whether the war drags on or whether uh, the Russians are forced to come to the table, and negotiate it all. So, uh, this is the, this, we're almost at that pivotal stage. Uh, I must tell you though, the atrocities, I've met with people, uh, that are on the ground over there, uh, that dealt with uh, the human rights and the torture, uh, that the Russians are doing, Russian soldiers. I mean, they're raping, uh, children, boys and girls. They're doing it in front of their parents. Uh, they're, uh, they're doing things, Jimmy, that, uh, Targeting civilian targets, maternity, hospitals, mm-hmm. hospitals, schools, uh, places where people congregate as civilians in their daily lives. They're trying to terrorize, but it's not working with the Ukrainian people. Uh, they're standing up to that. And it actually builds more resolve, I think, mm-hmm. uh, on their part. Congressman,
0: ideally, what, what, what do you think the best case scenario would be to resolve
1: this? Almost every war ends up in negotiations. You know, World War II didn't because the enemies were completely decimated. Putin had attempted originally to go in to Ukraine. He thought it would be easy, go right to Kiev, take over the government, set up a puppet government. That was his plan. Uh, That failed. So once that has failed, and he has no hope of that uh, anymore, uh, it's going to end up in the negotiating table. So how do you get to the table? Well, the only way Putin will go to the table is if he's losing and he's forced to. And this counteroffensive that I'm talking about uh, could set the stage where uh, that might occur. You know, the it's really unbelievable, uh, the, the loss of lives by the Russians. Uh, we have forecasts in just over a year, over 100,000 casualties, over 20,000, and that's conservative, uh, Russians killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you look at all the time we were in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, add it all up, it didn't come close to 20,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at the time, uh, the, the, they're in a track where uh, all the casualties that we lost in Vietnam uh, could occur in the next year or so at this rate with Russia. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't care. He's just putting those people out there in the front lines. He's gone to the prisons and cleaned out the prisons and said, We will give you clemency if you go to the front line. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of those Prisoners, some that, for instance, have uh, HIV and they're not getting treatment there. They're saying, we'll give you treatment if you go to the front lines. And they just he's just putting these people out there. And uh, in the last few months, they're just getting slaughtered like a meat grinder. And he doesn't seem to care. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, there's a point where uh, losing different land that he reclaimed and he said that part of his country uh, will d- drive him back to the uh, negotiating table. Uh, and that's it's it's only at that point i believe uh, we'll be able to talk about a ceasefire uh, and dealing with the other issues
0: tell me were you surprised because i know biden has gotten uh pretty high marks from most people in the country on both sides of the aisle really for his handling of the ukraine issue and keeping nato together etc were you surprised at the results of the midterms in terms of the Democrats not being slaughtered. Were you surprised at
1: those results? I was, I guess you're not supposed to say that. Yeah, But if you look at history, uh, as you mentioned, it it happens every time. There's usually a big loss in the midterm. Uh, That didn't occur, in fact, we almost won. It wasn't for New York State, and I think some malpractice, the way they handled it as a Democratic party, uh, we could still be in the majority, which would have been a historic achievement. Uh, But I'm, I'm very confident in two years The majority be DAC because uh, there is extremism uh, on the other side. And when they're talking about these radical uh, cuts, uh, they're cutting into veterans issues. Uh, They're cutting into uh, Social Security and Medicare. They say they're not going to do that, but their plan to deal with the deficit resulted in cuts that inevitably would have hit those areas as well. They want to cut, but they just don't want to say they are going to cut it. That's hugely unpopular, right. and, and they've taken the time they have right now. And you have to ask yourself this question in, in very uh, common sense terms. What have they done now that they have the power in the House to help the average person in their daily life? Mm-hmm. And, and that simple question, uh, it, the answer to that is nothing, uh, nothing. And so if, with that being the case, uh, they are really going to have a hard time uh, going into this next election. Uh, so I'm surprised we kept it as close as we did. But uh, that, that makes me very confident uh, that they're doubling down on all these losing issues. They're doing nothing about the increasing gun violence and the loss of life, uh, even though 80 to 90%, 90 percent of the public believes that we should take actions on assault weapons, red flag issues, uh, background checks. Mm-hmm. These are hugely popular right. uh, on the women's reproductive rights issues. Uh, huge numbers uh, against what they're doing, but then they're doubling down on it. So uh, they might be winning points on their narrow base. But if you take this kind of extremist uh, policy, you're not going to get the independent voters. And and those are the voters you need in a general election. Mm -hmm. And uh, unless they change course radically, uh, they're going to face a very tough election this next time out. Mm -hmm. uh, And we'll have the House back. Are you
0: uh, happy with President Biden? Do you think he's doing a a good job? How would you grade him? And are you, uh, he just announced his re-election campaign last week. Are you uh,
1: enthusiastically behind him moving forward? Yeah, you know, you mentioned it. He did a job I don't think most people could do. We have united all those countries in Europe, uh, you know, individually into a huge coalition, a historic coalition, uh, and I don't think anyone anticipated that. But his background, his foreign policy, he knew a lot of these leaders on a personal basis. Mm -hmm. You know, the stories are are legion that if some of these people have an illness in the family, he picks up the phone and calls them up. He's known them for years. And that really helped. Mm -hmm. So I I think, you know, when you look back at history, even at this first term, that's what they're going to point to with Joe Biden, how he uh, staved off one of the greatest challenges to Western democracy. By putting a coalition together, so he gets great grades for that. Uh, you know, the popularity polls uh, are tough. Uh, there's a countrywide poll coming out uh, very shortly. It's going to show unbelievable popularity for Joe Biden. But I think the the bad news is that country is Ireland. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> they love him over there. And he had a great successful trip, and as yeah. someone that comes from that background, myself, it was great to see. Uh, right. See him, you know, but domestically,
0: kind of the achievements have been
1: pretty formidable, have they not? Absolutely. I mean, these issues of dealing with climate change—you know—they sit us down, and the committees that I'm on, especially Armed Services, and every Congress that say, "What are the existential threats to the planet?" That wakes you up in the morning. Yeah. You know, you sit down and. And you have our own government telling us, what are the threats to the survival of the earth? (laughs) Uh, So there's three things they point to every year. They haven't changed. But there's nuclear war, which you would think of uh, off the top of your head. And then there's the pandemic, which they would say every year. And until it happened, I honestly thought it wasn't going to be a threat, the threat that it was and the damage that it did. And the third one, and this is the military talking, is climate change. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's how serious this is. It's a lot. A lot of our defense budget goes to dealing with these issues. A lot of the conflicts around the world because the migration that occurs, you know, when there's famine, starvation. Uh, And so it's a huge issue. uh, And we took it on at a scope that no one has ever done before. Uh, And Joe Biden steered that ship. And now we're seeing the results of it in an unprecedented investment uh, that's there in some of the highest growth industries. And, you know, everyone's talking about China. Uh, they were ahead of us in so many fronts. This investment that we did on climate change uh, is one that's going to propel us to the lead on that front as well. And, and you know how he did most of that. Uh, he didn't do it with big government doing it. There's a lot of tax credits for businesses, small ones, medium ones. As well as the large ones. Uh, and having that kind of, uh, you know, monies there to push them over the top in, in, the, in these investments, uh, it's incredible. The, the, one of the fastest growing parts of our economy surround these issues. And if we're going to have good paying jobs into the future and a strong economy and not lose our footing to other countries around the world, that investment so important. So uh, he gets high grades on that one too. Right. Well, you would think that the uh, the
0: Republicans in the House would understand that the 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 environmental legislation that they got through is a job creator. It, I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty obvious. You just look at the the track record on the on any type of investment. If the government makes the tax credits, people are going to invest in it. I mean, and some of the states that have have come the furthest are red states with wind energy down in Texas. It's huge. In the Midwest, it's huge. Um, We got the offshore wind. How is that going now with the offshore wind here in Massachusetts?
1: You're right about that. Even in this latest uh, Republican effort to uh, deal with the deficit, uh, they won by 217 to 215 votes. I mean, that's as close as it gets. One person changing their vote and wouldn't go forward. Uh, And They had to make changes on biofuels and those issues because those Republicans weren't going to vote for it because it's important in their district. Uh, They're going to find out more and more. These are jobs in their district and and jobs that are going to help us in the future uh, compete with the rest of the world and jobs that are going to help us deal with the climate change issue that we're paying so much for uh, as we go forth. So I don't understand exactly why sometimes they vote against their own district uh, you know they're going in the other direction mm. part of that bill uh, said that we're gonna they wanted to invest more in coal uh, and in oil and gas uh, and, and uh, they're going in the opposite direction of the rest of the world mm. except third world countries and things so we're we're seeing them take very strange positions in terms of I think, common sense issues, but also uh, political issues. Uh, this is a, you know, it's not a net gain. It's a net loss when you get to the general elections. Because mostly independent voters don't have the same uh, enthusiasm uh, for parties. That's why they're independent. They'll, they like the ability yeah. to go back and forth and choose. But that doesn't mean they uh, are not passionate about issues. And, and when you're just looking at your own base in a primary and ignoring, uh, which in my district is two-thirds of the vote, the independence, uh, then you're really hurting your chances even on the political front. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, sometimes on, on issues, the people lead a lot of the political leaders. And, and when you're looking at the issue of gun safety, when you're looking at the issue that we have made great progress on, health care issues, uh, you know, the, it was the people that led some of the leaders. The public support was there before the leaders took action. And, and I think that they're gonna see the effects of this because the people are ahead on these issues. Mm-hmm. And, and they're digging themselves into a hole uh, on the issues of personal freedoms. You know, women should be able to make her own healthcare choices. They had a whole, uh, whole week dedicated to having Washington make the decisions about what's gonna happen in your local school and not having local school committees make those decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just the opposite of what uh, you know. maybe a decade ago, the Republican Party stood for.
0: Yeah, Bill, do you think that uh, as we get closer to 2024, that the Democratic Party, the Democrats will be increasingly more supportive of uh, President Biden? And do you think that the country as a whole will be more supportive of President Biden, even though he's 80. He was very funny actually at the uh, correspondence dinner last week. He was you know, making fun of his own age and everything. That always goes over big. And I know you're very funny. And when we get together on uh, May 31st down in New Bedford, we always have a lot of fun there. I do more comedy and then interview you. And we have a lot of fun with the audience with Q&A. But do you think there will be more support as the as things become clearer to the general public about what's at stake with the uh, 2024 election?
1: Well, Jimmy, we're a divided country right now, more than we should be. Uh, and it's going to be a divisive election, regardless of what happens. And uh, that's... I'd like to see that lessened. I think everyone would. Uh, But I think if they look beyond uh, the divisive issues and what they're trying to do to vilify people that run for office and people, certainly the president, uh, they're going to look, I hope, behind all that and say, look what he did when democracy was threatened. Look what he did taking us out of the pandemic. Look what he did keeping the economy afloat. I have a lot of small business people in the Cape and the South Coast and South Shore. They'll say, you know, I'd be out of business now with the pandemic uh, if you didn't just keep us alive and keep our employees here working for us. Those issues are gonna really take hold, I think, when people have a chance to reflect and say, where are we going in the future? Because elections aren't about the past, they're about the future. And a lot of the things that we did Together uh, with the president, a lot of the things we're trying to still do, they're not dealing with the past, certainly. They're not even focused as much on the present as they are in the future. One of the things we did, uh, called the Chips Bill, uh, which put made in America businesses right on the front line, so we're not dependent on China or Taiwan or other countries for chips and other materials. We're manufacturing that stuff here. We learned during the COVID pandemic, the supply chains are critical. We learned what happens when they can be interfered with. Uh, our prescription drugs, so many of them came from China. What if they're cut off? And those fears result in us looking forward and saying, we can't continue to do the same thing. We have to change things. And so I think when they look at uh, what Joe Biden and, and Democrats have done, we've looked forward. Uh, on issues. And when, when we have a message that looks forward and unfortunately it looks like Trump might be the nominee and and, and the Republicans, they're not just looking at the status quo, they're looking backwards. They're looking at bringing people's women's healthcare rights back 30, 40, 50 years. Mm. They're looking at, uh, having Washington, uh, interfere with people's personal lives, uh, so that they can't make their own decisions at the local level. They're bringing the opportunity to vote close to the old poll tax days where it's become harder and harder for people to vote if they're a minority or a college student. So you're going to have an election, that I think, with independence, and that's where it really is going to rest, where people are saying, do we want to look forward or do we want to look backwards? Mm -hmm. And uh, it doesn't matter if the leader's 80 years old. Uh, if you're an 80-year-old leader looking forward versus uh, a 77-year-old leader looking backwards, I don't think age is going to matter that much.
0: Mm. Good point, Bill. One issue I think that the president could you know, not only help millions of people with, and, uh, but also just it's a common sense wow. issue, is the issue of addiction and drug treatment that is essential to so many people. And I think he could really make the case like having the addiction in his own family, obviously with his son Hunter and the challenges that he had. That represents millions of people in the country. And I think if we were to take the lead on that issue nationally about that, that cuts across, you know, race, class, political party, geography, income, etc. religion doesn't matter. It affects so many people. It would be really gratifying to see the Democrats really out front on that issue because I think, A, it's gonna save millions of lives and B, it's obviously gonna engender a, a great support because people will do anything to help uh, a, a, a person or, a, or an entity that is trying to save the lives of their own kids. And that's what we're up against. I mean, as you saw last year, I think it was 100,000 overdoses in 2022 and it's ongoing. And I just think that he could be hammering that issue home and the Democrats can be hammering that issue home all over the country. I
1: I lost a a cousin and I lost a lot of friends uh, to addiction, Uh, lives lost. And, And way back when I first became a district attorney in Massachusetts, the D.A. has a responsibility when there's a death to investigate how the death happened to make sure there's no foul play. And, and in the early years, time and time again, I was finding uh, often young people uh, dead and finding out that they weren't involved in any crime. They were involved. In any, they they didn't have any background. They became addicted to prescription drugs uh, and the opioid drugs. And that set them off into heroin and other drugs as well. And uh, uh, I started the the first uh, heroin council, one of the first in the country, uh, dealing with this. It was an uh, anti-opioid council. And and we realized right off the bat what was happening, that these big corporations, drug companies were profiteering uh, and not telling the truth about the addiction that surrounds these opioid drugs. And now we've seen it move to fentanyl, more deadly, harder to deal with. They can make these in these very small, uh, you know, factories, if you will, Mm. the size of a room and make money is so hard to trace. Uh, So the stakes have gotten higher and the challenges have gotten higher, even though we made some progress. But this issue should affect everyone uh, in in the country. Uh, And because I can't I don't know many families that haven't been affected uh, by this themselves. And even if their family isn't affected, their friends and neighbors, uh, the people they live with, Uh, in a community are all affected, and we can do more on this, but we have to work on the education front, and we have to make sure we're clear, we have to make sure there's resources behind it, and we have to take this uh, as the threat to life and human life that it is. And and I think you've hit on something, people care about this, it's bipartisan, but the passion uh, at taking the next step and making sure we're driving these resources towards greater awareness of what's going on. Uh, Enforcement helps, but the greatest thing we can do is uh, awareness and then treatment when it's necessary. Right. Uh, And the treatment is very expensive, as you know. But the more we set up the ability to treat people, the less expensive it will be. And and, uh, I think we've made great progress on some fronts, but the challenges, the goalposts have been moved with fentanyl. Right. Bill, I think a lot of it comes
0: for the general public just the average person the independent voter the people that uh, don't you know follow politics every day it's the messaging that has to come from the white house the messaging being as uh, up there when we talk about climate change we're talking about drug treatment you know it's got to be up there with the two three four things that are front and center on the p- minds of people because it's affecting obviously the homeless issue the gun issue the, uh, you know, domestic violence issues, issue. health care, pardon me? The suicide issue. The suicide issue, absolutely. So I just think it's something that is needs to be addressed, and I think the president would be a, the perfect messenger for this, given his own family history and given the family history of so many of other people, uh, of Republicans and Democrats, going back to Jerry Ford and Betty Ford and Billy Carter and Jimmy Carter, I mean, you know there's all these families have been affected on that level and I just think it's something that would resonate with the American people and I, I hope that they can uh, hear this interview and hopefully put it up there and the one the in the in the top three or four issues that they're talking about moving into 2024.
1: You're right uh, I think the president is in a position where uh, I think the compassion he usually comes through with as an individual as well as his own personal experience with son. Uh, could help. There's no one that's immune from this. Uh, And uh, we all have to look at this as a national priority.
0: Well, Bill, uh, you're right on. And thank you so much for your time today. I look forward to seeing you on May 31st in New Bedford. We're going to have a lot of fun. I'll do a little performance. Bill will come out. He'll do a little, we'll do a little Q&A. Uh, and then the audience, we open it up to the audience for questions, and it'll be a, a fundraiser for Bill. And so if you like Bill Keating, come on down. If you don't know that much about him, come on down. Learn something about this former DA who ran for Congress and has been there for 12 years now, doing great work. And uh, it has got the best interests of the south coast of Massachusetts and the United States of America at heart. So, Bill, thanks a million for being here today bill keating uh, keating for congress.com or jimmy tingle.com you can get tickets to uh the may 31st event and it's great to see you again keep up the good work please carry the message you make us proud and keep keep doing what you're doing
1: all right thanks jim and thanks for you doing the work you're doing on the issues that we discussed as well as other issues appreciate it of course thank you buddy